Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. My name is Greg and we are currently going through a series in Matthew and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Guys, did you just worship Jesus? Good night. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us and gifting this body with people who can lead us in worship, but also, God, thank you for gifting us with a Bible written in our language and English that we might read it and understand it and come to the knowledge of the salvation we just sang about. To read, God, that you, in the very beginning, created a world that was beautiful and innocent and perfect. And God, thank you for your grace. Even though we corrupted this world, you sent your son into a corrupt world to rescue us out of our deadness and corruption, to bring us back to yourself. And God, we long for the day that one day you will make all things new. You'll wipe away every tear. God, I know in this room right now, there are people who are going through hard times, suffering, hurt, pain. They feel the brokenness of this world. But thank you, God, as we wake up in the mornings now and the stars are still out. Thank you for the great reminder from Psalm 8 where David said, when I looked at the heavens, the moon and the stars, the work of your fingers, what you put in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Thank you, God, that to you, we're more valuable than the stars of the cosmos. And you see us in the midst of our pain. And as we look at this passage, God, as Chet said, and I got to study this week, God, thank you that you didn't look at us with anger. You looked at us with compassion. And so I pray that today you would awaken in us, we would use the gift of our ears and the gift of a spirit created in your image to see, to understand, to contemplate, that we would use the gift of a brain to think and to process. And God, maybe we would come to a conclusion that you're worth living for and dying for, and that our neighbors are worth pursuing for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What's up, y'all? Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Greg. And... Um, I haven't gotten to teach in two weeks, so this is going to be fantastic, all right? I got a lot of things I want to say, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Well, hey, I want to, um, Ashley said that uh, I was going to talk about a few things, and I, want, I do want to talk about them real quick. Number one is uh, our members' night. If you're a member here at Outpost on August 12th, is it August 12th or 11th, 12th? On August 12th, we're going to be having a members' gathering. Here's the purpose. What did I say? That's what I meant. We're going to do one next August as well, Okay. Mark your calendars, all right, November uh, 11th or 12th, which is it? All right, so November 12th, good, you're listening, I'm proud of you. I was looking at it, is it on the screen? Look, it's right there. Okay, November 12th, here's the purpose, we get our members together, guys, I want to encourage you, I want to tell you um, about the goodness of God and what God's doing in this church, but we've taken time, we took two weeks to listen to feedback from our body, and uh, we did that not aimlessly, not just to make people feel good. Uh, not just to hear our problems and gossip and whine. We did that because, for a purpose. And on November 12th, we're going to talk about how God has been leading us, based on what we heard, to some conclusions that we as a family can own together to seek the welfare of this city that God has placed us in. Okay? So uh, come, bring food. Don't bring food. You just won't eat. It's great. But we're still going to talk about the goodness of God and what he's doing. All right? Awesome. Hey, the second thing is the bat. Right now, we have one guy on our bat. So would that make him the bat man? It, the Batman is Russ Lundvall. So if you need Russ 
Just throw that sign up into the clouds at night, and he will come, and he will rescue you from your tax problems. Okay, I'm just kidding. No, but Russ is uh, on that team, but we're looking for people. We're looking. Look here. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the passage at the very end, uh, but in 1 Corinthians 12, it says the body is a body. It's made up of many parts, and how weird would it be if your body was all just a nose, a walking nose, right? That would be very weird, and what the Bible is trying to tell us is simply this. Everyone in this room is very different, okay? We're very different. We're talented in different ways, and that is intentional. God didn't just like, you know, throw it into the wind and see what happens. It was very intentional. You are meant to play a part, and we're looking for the men and women that God has designed in a certain way where they, um, let's just say they're not like me, all right? They're a little more administratively gifted. Okay, they don't just see a vision, they go, but we have to do these things to get it done. So we're looking for people who are gifted, maybe it's with building projects, or it's law, or it's finance, or whatever it is, to come together as a team to help us walk wisely as we steward uh, this rented space that we're walking in, and in this body, and how we walk through everything we do, okay? Does that make sense? If you are a member here at Outpost, and you go, you know what, I think God has actually blessed me with some talents in that way, we don't think that's arrogant, let us know. So reach out to Jake Williams or myself. We would love for you to uh, pray about that, talk to your community about it, pray about it, but then talk to us about it. And we'd love to uh, just meet with you and kind of interview on this and make sure this is the right place for uh, you in this body, okay? Does that sound good? Make sense? Great. Hey, here's the last thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching the news, but there's something going on in a place called Israel. Anybody heard of this? And so what I want to do is I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable for a minute, and it shouldn't be uncomfortable. You're the church. Amen? You're in a building, but you are the church. And so the church does something that starts with a P and rhymes with raise. What does it do? It prays. So what I want you to do is, the people around you, I want you to make a little huddle, and we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray for Israel. We're going to pray, pray for Palestinians. We're going to pray for the Middle East. We're going to pray for those in Afghanistan. 2,000 people died in an earthquake like that in a single day. I want you guys to pray just for the Middle East and what's going on, okay? So you're going to grab people around you. We're going to take a moment just to lift up these people. All right? We're going to pray for Hamas, that God would convict hearts and they would drop their weapons, realizing that what they are doing is evil, or else that God would bring his wrath and justice on them swiftly. So let's pray real prayers. Sound good? All right. Gather some people around you. Let's do what Christians do. Let's pray.
Well, Father, we're so thankful that you hear our prayers. You do not uh, get confused by the prayers of thousands and hundreds and millions around the world. You can hear them all. And I just, we do as one body, we pray that you would be glorified through what is happening there. We do not understand how God can, you can get glory through it all, but you're much bigger than us. You're bigger than Cody. You're bigger than Outpost. You're bigger than all the churches here. You're bigger than the United States. You're bigger than our time in history. And we just praise you for it. And we trust you. May you rescue, protect the innocent, bring justice, rescue souls. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, grab your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Let's get after it. Well done, church. Way to be the church. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're at today. We're going through the book of Matthew. Looks like we're not going to finish until 2026, but it's going to be fun. Amen, right? It's still the Bible. I don't want to hear any complaining. All right? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and um, I want to to read this to us, and I want you guys to stand with me as we read. If you don't have a Bible, there should be blue ESV ones somewhere around you, in the back, in the front, sorry, you sat in the wrong section. Um, Let me read this. This is what it says. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Amen. It's the Lord's word. You can have a seat. How many of you guys, uh, have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and you freaked out about what time it was? Anybody ever done that? You're like, oh, no, what time it is? So last night I, I woke up, you know, uh, like I'm in my 30s, heading toward my 40s, so I had to go to the restroom. And so I went and grabbed my phone and I was like, please, Lord, please, I hope it's not 445. You know that feeling when you set your alarm for five and you wake up 15 minutes before? Because you're like, if I only have 15 minutes and I feel like this, this is going to be a bad day. And I grabbed my phone and it said 145 and I went, I literally went, thank you. (laughs) Set it down, went back to bed. I was like, there's still time to recover from whatever I'm feeling, right? Um, But there's those other times where you go and you grab your phone and you set your alarm for five and you wake up and you go and look and it's 530, right? You're like, I got to go. I got to get up. I got to move, right? Well, here's the thing I want you to know is that the time is short. The time is short. We do not have a lot of time. The the night has been going on for the last 2,000 years, but the day is dawning. It is coming. Listen to what uh, Matthew 24 says. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. The time of the return of Jesus is coming. In our Bible, if you read, and I don't have time to go all the way into this, it says that he is coming what? It uses, it's a word, it starts with S. Soon. He's coming soon. Now, you guys go, oh, it's been 2,000 years. We'll talk about that when we get to Matthew 24 and 25. Why should this matter to you? Why should this matter to us? Because, listen, we have friends. 
We have family, we have neighbors, and we're surrounded by nations that are destined to be swept away by the flood of God's wrath. And we Christians have a boat. We Christians have a boat. And that boat is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? By his saving grace, by his love, we have a way through the wrath of God, just like Noah had a way through that flood. We have a way. So this matters to us because all around us are a group of people who do not have what we have. They have no boat, no life raft, no hope. And if they don't have Jesus, they have nothing. They've got nothing. And the time is coming to an end. It is coming. And we go, you go read First Thessalonians, or you read right after that passage I just read. It says, he's going to come, and, you, and no one's going to see it coming, right? Two are going to be in a field. One's going to be taken, the other left. Two are going to be at the mill. One's going to be taken, one's going to be left. He's saying, listen, this is going to come, and you're not going to know when it's coming. Even the Son of Man doesn't know. Now, I want you to think about this. What about those people here in Cody, Wyoming, who do not know? What are we going to do about them? What about the people in Powell and Lovell, Right? What about the people on the reservation? What about the billions of people who live in China and India? What about those in war-torn countries like in Israel or Ukraine or North Africa? What about all these people? Now, I think a lot of times I hear people say, and I get it, they go, man, how can God be good if there's so many billions of people who haven't heard about Jesus who are going to die and go to eternal hell? I think the real question we should be asking is, how does God save people who don't go tell anybody about it? That's a bigger question. Is he really going to accept these people who don't go even tell their own neighbors? And, and, and now here's the thing. I think some of us would go, but it's just too big, man. It's just too many people. What am I supposed to do? I'm just a mom. I'm just an engineer. I'm just a guy who's retired. I'm just a teenager in high school. What am I supposed to do about these billions of people? Let me ask you, have you ever heard of the starfish story? No? By look of your faces, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you, you want to hear the story about the starfish? Okay. Does everybody want to hear this? Well, let's take a vote. I'm just kidding. All right. The story of the starfish. There was, an old, there was an old man who was walking down the beach as he usually does. And as he was walking down the beach, he saw this young boy in the distance. And he saw that he was bending over and he was picking things up and he was throwing them into the, into the ocean. And as he was looking at this, he goes, what is going on? So he, as he walked closer, he began to realize two things. Number one, the tide was out. And as he got closer, he saw this young man was picking up starfish. There were thousands and thousands of starfish that, when the tide went out, were left on the beach and were going to die. And they were doing everything they can to wiggle their way back to the ocean. And this little boy was picking them up and throwing them back in. Now this cynical old man came walking up and go, what are you doing, young boy? It, like, you, you can't, why are you wasting your time? You're not going to make a difference. You can't get all these back in there. Just leave them. And the boy smiled, and he bent over, and he picked up one more starfish, and he gently threw it into the ocean, and he goes, I made a difference to that one. A lot of you guys, you see the whole world, and you go, what kind of difference can I make? And the reality is you can make a whole world of difference in one person's life if you would just understand what Jesus understands in this passage. And so today... That's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at three or four things. We're going to look at the ministry of Jesus. We're going to look at the compassion of Jesus, the harvest of Jesus, and the laborers of Jesus. I got Jesus on the end of all of those, so you can remember these, hopefully. 
The ministry, the compassion, the harvest, and the labors of Jesus. Go to verse 35. Let's look at the ministry of Jesus. Verse 35. This is the summation of chapters 8 and 9. Chapters 5 through 7 was a Sermon on the Mount. We went through that in chapters 8 and 9. He's been doing this incredible ministry. And it's about to sum it up and transition to chapter 10, which is all about you guys being soldiers for the kingdom of God and what that experience is going to be like for you. So this is a transition. So let me reread it. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So this is a summation. This is what Jesus' ministry has been. And what he says is, it's been a ministry of healing. Everybody say healing. healing. The Greek word is therapeuin. Say therapeuin. Okay, it means to heal or to serve. And it's obviously where we get the word therapy, right? Therapy. And so Jesus is going out, and he's going town to town, and he's bringing this healing as he serves these people. Now, we've got some nurses and physical therapists in the room, right? Anybody that work in the medical field? Raise your hand. Okay? Some of you, right? You adjust backs. You heal bodies. You help people out. Now, healing, is it an instant process? No, it's not. It takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. Sometimes it never happens because your clients won't listen to you, and they won't do their stretches, and they won't eat their food. Now think about this. Jesus is like, Jesus' ministry is like a caravan of healing. When he comes through, what he touches is healed instantly. Can you imagine that? How popular would that guy be? Right? That would be absolutely amazing. But you don't want to know what's more amazing? To Jesus, this is not the best part of his ministry. What's the best part of Jesus' ministry, all right, is the euangelion basilii. You go, what is that cool guy? Well, let me tell you. It's the gospel of the kingdom. If you were here when we were in Matthew chapter 8, he tells us all the healings that he's doing are just to show the heart of God and to show the power of God in being able to heal your soul. So the euangelion basilii, euangelion, good news. It's the good news of the kingdom. Now that word basilii is really interesting to me. Listen, I'm not as smart. I just have books that tell me what the Greek says. But basilii, it's also where we think about the word, it reminds me of the word basilica. You know what a basilica is? You guys think of a basilica? It probably rings a little bell in your brain. You're probably thinking of like the Roman Catholic churches, the basilicas. Do you know that the basilica was not actually a church thing first? It was actually more like a town hall. A basilica was a Roman thing. It was the town hall. It was the place where they would, the kings or local political leaders would do their job of issuing out justice or giving citizenship to people. You became a Roman citizen by going through the basilica. Laws were made there. Justice was given there, right? War plans were designed and planned there. The basilica is a place of the king's justice. It's the courtroom. It is the town hall of our town. Do you understand? And so what Jesus is bringing, he's bringing the gospel of the kingdom, the basilia. This is the gospel, the good news that the king with his policies and his laws is coming. Now you go, why should I care? The Jews cared. The Jews were living in a Roman-occupied world that was ran by the laws and the policies of Rome. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Rome, but it's like North Korea, right? These men were disciplined, 
and yet they were also brutal. Just to live under a, a Roman-occupied country, you had to pay to live. You had to pay to do everything. And they kept their thumb down on him. So for the Jews to hear the gospel, the kingdom, the gospel of God is coming. And he's going to make all things new. He's going to rule and he is going to reign. They go, yeah, I want that. I want a restoration of God's ways. Can you guys resonate with that a little bit as Americans in 2023 heading into 2024? You got a little bit of that? Anybody in here been praying for a restoration of God's ways in the United States? Yeah? Well, if you're not praying, then you should start praying. But we can resonate with this. We're all praying for a restoration of the freedom of speech, rights of unborn children, a place where the weakest among us aren't taken advantage of by woke ideology that tells them that the sanctity of marriage and gender are merely just fluid things. Listen, guys, if you feel like I'm not allowed to touch on that, you need to wake up, all right? The church is not something that stays inside of some walls, and then out there we just live like the world. That's insanity, Amen. right? The reason why the, church, the, the country is the way it is is because the church is the way it is. And pastors are going, well, I'm not allowed to talk about that. People might leave my church. And here's what I want to tell you. I know my friends tell me to stop saying this. I'm going to say it. Go to another church. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and look, I'm on a rant right now, but I'm doing it. Okay, now listen. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you better vote for Trump, or you better be a Republican, or you better not be a Democrat. Or you I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm saying, you better be a Christian. You better be a Christian. You know what overturned the Roman world? Christians! Taken in the poor, caring for the oppressed and the orphans, right? Giving up their great wealth so that they might care for others. The Roman world looked at them and go, who are you? You're making our world better and we hate you. The U.S. should go, man, we, we, need, we do not need a better president. We need a better church. All right, I'm off my, I'm off my high horse. Let's get back at it. The good news of the kingdom. Now listen, the good news of the kingdom. So there's a similarity between us and the Jews in the fact that we both long for restoration. We want heaven on earth. Anybody in here? Every one of us do. But here's the thing. There's another similarity between the Jews and us, and that similarity is this. We constantly misunderstand what that means. We constantly misunderstand what it means. We think for some reason that Trump is a part of that. Some of y'all are offended. And I don't care. What that means is simply this, a restoration. The good news of the kingdom of God is that the justice that you and I deserved in the basilica of the king, Jesus paid for. That's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, all right, is the news that though you and I were strangers and aliens, we are now citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We went, entered into the basilica of God's kingdom, and we came out citizens. We came out kingdom people. Amen? Anybody experience that? I don't care about my U.S. citizenship. This place is going to go and pass away, just like Rome did. And I'm going to be in kingdom of heaven, worshiping Jesus for 8 billion years. All right, I'm on a high. I'm feeling, I told you, it's been two weeks. This, the good news of the kingdom is this, that our king will one day rule the nations. If that doesn't, you, you can't leave here saying yes and walk out there and go, can't wait to watch the Eagles and the Dolphins play. We need a church who hears these things, learns these things, and doesn't become smarter sinners, becomes more fully devoted saints, men and women of the kingdom, the basilica of God's grace. Okay, 
So the ministry of Jesus is the healing of the world through faith in what Jesus accomplished on your behalf and the basilica of God's justice. What does this mean? In this room, there's two types of people. And I don't mean just men and women. There's two types of people. There are those of you in this room, you do not have a relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you right now, we love your socks off. But our love for you doesn't even compare to God's love for you. We want you to go into the Basilica of God's justice and find out that there's a man standing in there ready to take your debt. And his name is Jesus. And he loves you. To become a Christian, you don't have to button up. You don't have to get all your stuff together. Jesus has all your stuff together. You just have to give your life to the king, Jesus. And I have not regretted it a single day of my life. Not regretted it. Anybody else in here? I've not regretted it. The king has been good to me. I was not cool. I was a weirdo. I was selfish. I was an addict. I was as lost as you could be. I was insignificant. And God has made me into a man that has some significance. I'm not saying that as a brag. I'm saying that's glory to God. Only God does that. Praise God. God wants to do it through you, but here's the first thing he wants you to know. He wants you to know how significant Jesus is. Now, the second thing is, and here's the other group of people. It's you in here who are Christians. Let me hear about it. Hear you guys. Where are the Christians at? That's what I'm talking about, man. Worship Jesus. You are saved, not because you were cool, right? Not because you went to some church, right? Why were you saved? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus got on a cross for you. Now, let me tell you something. You have a boat. Are you inviting people into it? Are you telling people about it? What this means is Jesus' ministry is our ministry. It's a ministry of therapy. It's a ministry of healing, and it's a ministry of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel, the good news. That's our ministry. And just as it said that Jesus went from every, every city, every town, every village, he didn't care about Pal Cody rivalries. He's like, I'm going everywhere. In the same way, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he tells us, you guys now go and make disciples. And in Acts 1.8, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, maybe even Lovell. Right? And he's saying, listen, I've given this to you, so church, I want you to wake up. I'm not the only missionary here. This is a pastor's conference. This is a missionary retreat this morning. You're all missionaries. I'm not talking to just a bunch of church people. You're more significant than that, church. You're soldiers. You're kingdom people. You're citizens. When you leave here, you live different. That's what I'm talking about. Look, I'm coming back from the South. Love the South. Love my family. Love the South. But man, they got to wake up. They're, they're living this, this veneer Christianity. And Bonnie and I, when we're coming back, we're both in just tears thinking about you guys because we're like, man, this place is just different. This is just different. Right? I got to, look, again, I'm feeling away right now. I heard when we got, I got back, we got back, what? I got back into the office Tuesday. It took me till Thursday to recover. And, but I got to hear several stories of people who are just sitting in a meeting with people and telling them about the gospel. Hearing about some of, this happened twice. Two of you, pairs of you, were just out in public, Right? public. People could see you, all right? And you're just talking about your problems openly, your sin, Jesus, all of it. And you're just talking to each other open. And everybody started to turn and look at them. And I was like, that's just some outpost people, man. That's just some Christians. They're so they're talking about their junk. And everyone's like, you can't talk like that. Who talks about that? 
And we go, Christians do, the church does. The church is significant not because we're all perfect people who are buttoned up. That's, not, that's so unattractive. Anybody? The church is significant because there are a bunch of people who are just talking about the fact that they're not buttoned up. But their Savior is awesome. All right, cool. Let's see if I can rein it in. So church, what I'm telling you is this. You've been given the Holy Spirit. So here's the practical thing you need to do. You need to take up the ministry of Jesus. It's now your ministry. Now, you may not be able to touch people and heal them instantly, but man, you can be a means of healing in a spiritual form to this entire community. You hear me? You guys, along with the rest of the churches in this town, we're not alone. We're not alone. You're not alone. We could do this. All right. What happens, though, when Jesus looks out and he sees that his kingdom people are not doing it? How does Jesus feel about that? What do you think? Well, let's go to verse 36. It says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like what? Like sheep without a shepherd. It says when Jesus saw the crowds. Anybody in here, would you describe yourself as a people watcher? Anybody here people watcher? You're sitting in an airport. What are you doing? Just looking at them. Just looking at them. You're like, wow. Now, listen, here's the thing. Bonnie and I have talked about this. We're recovering judgmental people watchers. My wife does something. I, I've, told, I've talked about this before. If she sees you running down the sidewalk, she, if it's a girl, this is so funny. Can I say this? Okay. <laughs> this is so funny. Bonnie, Bonnie will, if she sees a woman running down, <laughs> doing a run, and they're running fast, she goes, oh, she just got started. <laughs> or, and we both do this. If they're running kind of weird, they got a weird kind of run, we're like, what is that guy doing? At the airport, I was so judgmental. I was watching. I was like, some kids were losing their stuff. And I was like, parents don't discipline their kids, <laughs> right? I saw some businessmen. I was like, I bet he only cares about his money and his things, right? And like, I, just judgmental. And it's funny, but I also saw some people, and I go, I bet that, you know, that person's a homosexual, or that person's trans. Don't they, don't they even know? Like, I felt stirred up in me this kind of evil judgmentalism. Anybody else have that? Your like, first gut reaction is just judgment. Not because I'm a Christian, because I'm human. That's not a Christian thing. That's a human thing. And it was sickening. I saw something on the surface, but Jesus, when he looked out and he saw them, he saw all that surface stuff, but Jesus saw something else. And it triggered in Jesus compassion. Now, compassion comes from a Latin word, compati. Com means with, pati means to suffer. It means to suffer with. But the Latin word's not what's in there. It's actually a Greek word. All right? The Greek word is this. It is splagchizoma. All right? So it's, thank you. <laughs> All right, hold on. Stick with me here. It comes from a root word, splagchna, which means internal organs. It means internal organs. What is it saying? When Jesus looks at you, and you've got some imperfections, and you're weird, and you run weird, and you smell weird, and you do weird things, he looks at you, and he says, we looked at the world. He felt it in his guts. He, he felt this compassion. What the English translation is trying to do is trying to tell you that his internal organs, he could just feel this, this hurt and this pain and this empathy for you. Not because of what's happened to you, because of what's going to happen to you. Do you hear me, church? And Jesus feels it in his guts. 
this compassion, this internal pain. And why does he feel it? Because he goes, they're harassed and they're helpless like a bunch of people without a shepherd. No direction. Nobody caring for them. Now, this is partly a critique of the Jewish shepherds. But listen to me. This is so important, church, you hear this. I don't think it's just, you know, because of the shepherds. I think this includes the shepherds. Far too often, guys here in the church, you do this and I do this. We narrow. We're way too narrow with who we think needs God's help. We, simply, we typically go, that's the drunks. It's the addicts. It's the single moms. It's the, it's the teenagers. It's the, those are the people who really need Jesus. No, it's the pastors. It's those people who've got their business all in order. It's everyone. Every one of us needs a shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6, many of you know this, says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We all need Jesus, amen? All of us are in desperate need. And Jesus, what it's saying then is this. Jesus is looking at you and he's looking at me and he's going, I feel this crazy in my gut empathy and care for you. Some of you need to hear that. That's how God feels about you. Either because your stuff is all messed up or because you think you got your stuff all together. That's how Jesus feels about us. Why does this matter? It matters because there is a terrifyingly desperate, incredibly important judgment coming for us. It's not just Hamas that needs justice. We do. And God can save Hamas, and he can save us. You know that the, the leader who founded Hamas, his son is now a Christian. Do you know that? Have you all seen this? You seen the interview online with him? He converted to Christianity after seeing what Hamas did, he says, can't be it. And he found the hope he was looking for in Jesus. And some of you think God can't do something in your life. Jesus is our hope. And this matters. This matters. Listen to me. This matters because hell exists. This is the problem I have. Listen, I know some of you get upset when I bring up talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, what, what really upsets me is how, upset, how unupset you guys are. Because the real church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints knows that hell exists. And the false one that's down the street from my house will tell you hell does not exist. And that heaven has levels. And that's not true. You've got to understand. I had two Mormon boys come into my house, and we loved, there was respect, and we talked. And by the last time that we were meeting, I said, guys, can I ask you a question? If you leave this house, and I do not convert to Mormonism, am I going to hell? And he goes, no, 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 we don't believe that. I said, well, you need to understand that I believe that you are. And you go, some of you go, oh, that's just unkind. And I go, you know what's crazy? I think there will be a new definition of kindness when we get to stand before Jesus in heaven. And what you call kindness, he's going to call evil. I'm not saying hell exists to condemn you. I'm saying hell exists because the Bible says it to warn you. And I don't care about popularity. I care about your salvation. Faithfulness means that you guys have got to be able to say with love and grace and compassion, hell does exist. Let me look. Come on. Let's go. The harvest of Jesus. Why, listen, why would Jesus feel such in his guts care and concern for people if it didn't matter? 
you're all going to heaven anyways. What's the point of the cross? Do you hear me? What's the point of the cross? Could somebody answer me? There's no point. There's no point. This whole garbage about, well, love wins. Yes, it does, but not in the way that you define it. All right. Again, I told you. Look, let's read some scripture together. You don't believe me. Let's go to the harvest. Verse 37, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Man, what is it saying, guys? Very simply, it's this. It's saying that there is a lot of people in this world, and there's not enough people going after them. It's that simple. But let me describe to you a little bit about the harvest by reading to you some passages of scripture. I'm not upset. I'm just passionate because this is true. Let me read you scripture. It's not Greg. This is the Bible. This is Matthew 13, 24 through 30. It says, and when he put the, before them a parable, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn. Did you guys see a division there? Some will be gathered to go to be with the Lord. Some will be gathered into cast into fire. You don't have to like it. It's just what the Bible says. Let's go to, this is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous answered saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these he will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do you see a division? Do you see it? You think it's loving to act like it's not there? Let's go to the very end. The great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. No place to hide. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Some of you, maybe you didn't even know that your Bible says this. And this is why Jesus died for you. And this is why Jesus feels in his guts this crazy compassion for you, this empathy, this desire to heal you. It's because this is real, and it is coming. It is coming. And for some of us, it's already too late. We've lost people this year who've already fallen asleep. And this matters. It matters. And that's why we've got to ask ourselves, what do we do about this? And Jesus gives us an answer. Look at verse 37 and 38 again of Matthew chapter 9. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What are we supposed to do, guys? Pray and pray earnestly. Pray earnestly that God would send more laborers into this world to be his messengers of the kingdom of God, the good news. Now, when I study a passage, what I do is I usually read through the passage, and I'll look for words that like, just suddenly stick out, and I'll highlight them to go and research. What, is that, what does that word really even mean? Where does that come from? And so one of the words that stuck out to me was the word uh, earnestly. You don't really see that in your Bible a lot, the word earnestly. So I was like, what does that word mean? So I went and looked it up. You know what I found? It's not there. The word earnestly is not even there in the Greek. You know what's also crazy? It doesn't even say the word Pray. Anybody freaking out about your English Bible right now? They're like, then why is it telling me to pray earnestly? Right? What are these translators trying to do? Here's the word. Here is the word that it says. It's the word defeat or deo. Can you say deo? Deo. And this word, so listen, it doesn't say pray earnestly. It just says deo. And that word means to bind, imprison, uh, compel, or constrain. That's a little weird, isn't it? Let me give you some examples. John 14, 3. For Herod had seized John and deoed him, bound him, and put him in prison. Matthew 21, 1 through 2. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey bound, tied up, deo, and a colt with her. Untie, unbound, undeo them and bring them to me. So if you read verse 38, it literally says, tie up the Lord of the harvest, that he would send more workers in the harvest. Imprison the Lord of the harvest, that he might put more workers in the harvest. Anybody confused by that? Okay, you see why they didn't translate it in English directly like that? What does it mean? It means this. If you see what Jesus sees and you feel what Jesus feels, then you grab onto Jesus and you grab him and say, I will not let you go until you give us more workers. I beg you, give us more workers, Lord. I will grab you. It reminds me of the Old Testament when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord. 
He wrestles, he meets the angel of the Lord. He begins to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. Weird experience. And as they're wrestling, the angel of the Lord says, let go of me. And Jacob says, I will not let go of you until you bless me. It's you going, Lord, I'm not going to let go of you until you give us more workers. It reminds me of the, of the widow who's not getting justice that we read about in Luke. Jesus, or Jesus tells us about a parable, right? She's got this judge who's an evil judge, and he won't give her justice. And she just begs him and begs him and berates him and berates him. Finally, justice is like, fine, I'll give you your justice. It's like that. How many of you guys have ever seen a war movie, and they're surrounded, and they're getting shot at, and those guys are on that radio, and they're like, we need help. Send us help right now. It's just like that. It's like an unashamed beggar grabbing onto the clothes of Jesus, grabbing his feet and saying, I'm not going to let you go until you give me what I need. And right now I need backup. I need some backup. This past week uh, uh, in our community, uh, Kate's in my community, and we were talking about this because she's reading through it, and that word earnestly stuck out to her as well. And one of the things that I love that Kate said was she felt that, that feeling that all fully devoted followers of Jesus feel, that feeling like, you just can never do enough by sundown. You know what I'm talking about? Here's a, there's only one group of Christians that understand this, and those who are those who are actually living it out. If you're living it out and you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to get after it, you are evolving into, into Jesus, and you begin to become somebody going, man, I just need more help. I need more people. Right? But what happens is when you're not going about, when you're not involved, you devolve. This is the problem with the church. When you're not involved in the mission of Christ, you begin to, begin to not really care if people die and go to a crisis eternity. You begin to not care. And so when I said, hey, I would love to plant a church here in Cody, Wyoming, it was not because I felt like somewhere else was doing it bad. I was just going, listen, I saw a kid jump off the dam and kill himself, and I'm seeing there's a lot of people in this community who need Jesus, and I'd like to do something about that. I'd like to be involved in that if I can. And I've watched how God's evolved me to learn how to love people as Jesus loves them. And I'm still on my way. But that's what it means. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm saying, I see some of you guys doing this. You're getting involved and you're becoming more like Jesus. You're starting to see and feel what Jesus sees and feels in this passage. Amen? Anybody? I used to not give a care about any of you. And suddenly you matter. It's weird. I don't know why that's funny. Somebody laugh. Maybe you're laughing at something else. So, Listen. The labors are few, so we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. Now, I want to I read, I'm going to, look, I know we've been here a bit, it's getting hot, I'm yelling a lot, but I want to get to some stats. Anybody like stats? Anybody like numbers? I like numbers. I want to show you how bad it really is in the United States right now, okay? So here's a, uh, Barna is a, the premier stat company in a Christian world. Barna's excellent. So Barna actually did this pastoral burnout, take out burnout, whatever, just pastoral's quitting, pastor's quitting. This is what it says. Have you given real serious consideration to quitting being a full-time minister within the last year? January 21, all right, of year 21, 29% of current ministry leaders were saying, yes, I have given real consideration to quitting. By the same time the next year, or by March 2022, a year later, 42% of pastors last year were saying, I'm done, and I'm trying to figure out how to get out. I saw a follow-up question they asked, which was, if you had a way to get out, in other words, you had another job, would you do it? And it jumped to 60%. So look, it's not about pastors, but as the leadership goes, so goes the church. And if all the people are going, just secretly all of your pastors are looking to figure out how to quit, 
and they all want out, what do you think the people are going to be doing? So I'm just, I'm not showing this to you, like I'm showing you this and I'm just like, God, what are you going to do with it? But here's the thing, 42% are going, I'm out. 42%, that like half, it would be like half the pastors in this town are going like, I'm just trying to get out of this. All right, go to the next one. So here are the reasons. Immense stress of the job, they feel lonely and isolated, and the current political divisions that are going on are the top three reasons why they want to get out. It's top three reasons why they want to get out. Now, some of this is self-inflicted wound. They were poorly discipled. They were not taught. Okay? As you can see, current political divisions doesn't seem to bother me that much. It's not on my top. Okay? Um, feel lonely and isolated. I got, I got such a great community of people who love me in this body, who care about me. All right? Some of them hate me, but it's great. The ones who love me, uh, you know, I just listen to them more. All right? Um, feel an immense stress of the job. And that's what Kate was saying. She feels the immense stress of this job. Because people are really going to a crisis eternity in this town, in Cody, Wyoming. Do you feel these? You should feel these. All right, go to the next one. Show you some more. It's becoming harder to find mature young Christians who want to become pastors. Anybody think that this might be true? Okay, this is what it says right here. Uh, agree strongly in 2015, 24%. In 2022, last year, 34% of current lead pastors are saying, I can't find any young guys who want to do this. I got a lot of comments on that, but I'm going to keep it simple. Agree somewhat, 41%. What's 41 plus 34? Somebody give it to me. 75. Three quarters of the current lead pastors are saying, I cannot find any young men who want to do this. So listen. In the next, so it, what was it? It was uh, six years ago, they released, released the stat that said, in seven years, in seven years, a quarter of the current pastors are retiring. So we have a quarter of pastors who are going to be retiring because they're old. And we have hardly any coming back in. And in the middle, we have half of them wanting to quit. A quarter wanting to leave, half of them want to quit, and hardly any coming back in. Look at this next step. I am, becoming, uh, I am concerned about the quality of the future Christian leaders. Anybody feel this? I am. I'm kind of a jack wagon. I don't know if I'm doing this thing right or not. And some of my friends, I go, what are you doing? Okay, but this is what they say. Agree strongly, somewhat agree. Uh, six, 70, what is that, 71%? 71% of current Christian leaders are saying, I don't really know if this next generation has what it takes. And now I want to ask you, whose fault is that? Come on, somebody say it out loud. Whose fault is it if the next generation doesn't have what they need? This current generation. Look at this next step. Pull up the next one. My church puts a significant priority on training and developing the next generation of church leaders. In 2015, 22% said strongly agree. 47% said agree somewhat. In 2022, look how it shrunk. 14% strongly agree. 31% say I agree somewhat. So things are getting worse and we care less. You see that? That's why, parents, what you do in this mission field to answer Jesus' question right here is that you be a laborer in your own home making disciples in your house. Yeah. It's not Addison's job. Addison's job is to help serve alongside you, to benefit you, to, to, to spur you on to love and good deeds. Praise God for it. Amen? I'm so thankful for the youth team. They kick butt. But at the same time, parents, this is your job, to raise them up. I'm praying that the lead pastor of Outpost is downstairs right now learning from Addison. He's some little kid. Wouldn't even know. He's probably the worst one down there. <laughs> it's 
what God tends to do sometimes. All right? Teachers in this room, you have more liberty to talk about your faith than you, than you give yourself credit. I know this. I went and read the laws. It turns out you have a lot more freedom than you think you do. And why, why wouldn't you want to be the one who got fired for wanting to talk about Jesus? Hey, it means you who are in your offices and in your jobs and in your classrooms or whatever you are, it means you're going, I'm living on mission in that classroom. I want to see the new disciples come to know Jesus. Could, I say, could, the, could the people I'm discipling be the next person who just leads? And the fact is, if they just led one more person to Jesus, then you just multiplied your fruit by two. Come on. Listen, if, if this is all on Greg to lead every person to Jesus and Cody, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But if together, along with our brothers and sisters in this town, we all go, this is my job. And that stupid stat's not going to exist anymore. Not in this town. Not if I have something to say about it. Anybody? Amen? amen. You look at, you don't have to pray about it. You just got to do it. That's my prayer for you. I pray that God would radicalize you guys for the gospel. I pray you would be more committed to the kingdom of God and making disciples and raising up a new generation and going across your office lines and class lines and football lines and whatever to make disciples. I pray that you would be more dedicated than Hamas is to murdering babies. But currently, they're more de dedicated to their evil than you are to your good. Amen? Is that true? So let's... So, oh... Look, I'm not done yet. Hold on a second. Let's talk practical real quick. What do we need to do? What do we got to do about it? Here's what we need to do. First thing you need to do is we're going to talk about lead, three different types of leadership. The first leadership, each one of you by yourself that's looking at me right now, the first thing you need to do is you need to lead yourself. Start with you. Seek the Lord and his righteousness. Make, guys, listen to me, church, make legitimate space in your life for Jesus, to have an intimate relationship with Christ. We don't need missionaries who don't know Jesus going out there doing Jesus' things. Go read your Bible at Acts. Those kind of guys get their pants beat off and they run out bleeding. Okay? We need people who are intimately known by Jesus. First thing you need to do, build intimate time in your life with Jesus. If you dedicate more hours to watching football than Jesus, be convicted. If you're more consumed with your hunting, be convicted. If you're more consumed with getting a boyfriend or a marriage or whatever, be convicted. You are saying that something is more important than the souls of this, of this community. Now, does that mean you need to quit your job? No, your job might be exactly where God wants you to be a missionary. But listen, make intimate time with Jesus of priority. Worship God with singing in here and at home. Listen, I know some of y'all can't sing, but when you're in your truck, nobody can hear you. Worship Jesus. Create and cultivate your heart, hands out, hands up, in your truck, driving, and just going, God, I worship you, praise you. Make generosity a core part of your life. Choose yourself to be a person who's generous. Give of your, your time, talents, and treasure. Give of your money. Money's controlling you, then give it away. Give it away to the kingdom of God. God's going to do more than, with it than you can. Give it away. Confess your sins to God and confess your sins to each other so that you can have forgiveness and you can have healing. Some of that you, that freaks you out, but your Bible says it. God wants to forgive you, and confessing your sins to one another brings about healing. The church, the, the world's not coming. They don't want to come here just to see a church that is a bunch of welcoming people. They want to come into a church that's a different people, who when they're standing in the community and they're talking about their sin and all that stuff, everyone's going, what in the world? 
I just heard one of her friends who was at my house last night. She was saying that when she was telling her coworkers about what her and her community talked about, her coworker literally said, you're crazy. You're crazy. And this person who's at my house would go, you're crazy because you don't understand how, how good this is. And that person is coming around. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right. Second thing is this. If you lead yourself well, then you are also going to be good at leading others well. Does it mean you have to get all your stuff into order before you lead? No. Absolutely not. The day after I gave my life to Jesus, I texted all of my friends, invite them all to church. Only one came because I'm the worst evangelist in the world. And they're all like, that guy's crazy. I don't care if he's talking about Jesus. All right? But lead others. So here's what I would say. Become a worker in the harvest. If your prayer is that God would send in workers, you need to ask yourself, but am I one? Am I one of those workers? God, make me a worker. I want in. You could, we should not have to beg the church to volunteer. You guys should be going, get out of my way. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to work. I'm here to labor. You hear me? I've heard some of you guys do this. I can't invite anybody to my house. I go, who's holding you back but you? You could do whatever you want. Be a minister of God's grace. Be a Christian. Do it. You don't need my permission. The Bible gives you permission. All right, keep going. I'm up here, dude. I'm just feeling it. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each has been given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. You've got a spiritual gift. God wants to exploit it for his kingdom. The church is a body made up of a lot of parts. If our sports teams, our military, and our businesses all follow the model that God gave the church, shouldn't the church follow it? Let's learn to appreciate each other. Men appreciating women, women appreciating men, uh, us appreciating each other and our different giftings and saying, let's get after it, man. Let's be good at this. I know what I'm good at. That's why I want Russ to come run with me, because he's good at something else, right? Okay, great. And then, listen, we need to pray to God that he would develop more workers, either through others or through us. We need to pray to God that he would use those that we disciple. We need to pray that God would use the other churches in this community. Are you praying for them? Are you praying for CMA and Cody Bible and, and a House of Prayer and Presbyterian Church? and all? Are you praying for them? Man, pray for him. Pray for him. Who cares if our convictions are a little different than their convictions? We're united on essentials. We're gospel kingdom people. Let's do it. It's awesome. Come on. And here's what happens. If you lead yourself well and you make a practice of leading others well and, you, and this becomes a, a part of your life, you know what happens? You turn into, you evolve into a servant. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. We turn into servants. The ultimate and highest level of leadership is servant. That's it. A person just gives sacrificially of their time, talents, and treasures for others. Not so they can be glorified, but for the good of others and the glory of God. Amen? That ain't me some days. But I'm going to keep leading myself and leading others until God transforms me into the kind of man who's just a servant like Jesus. And I pray he does the same for you. Let's become servants. Let's pray God makes more servants. God, thank you for your love and your kindness to us and saving us. I pray, God, that you would use us. As we sing this next song, Hosanna, which means praise, God, I pray that, as it says in the lyrics, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. Give us eyes to see our neighbors, our children, the nations, our coworkers, our classmates, to see them in a new way. See them as souls who've been cast aside, who need the gospel of the kingdom of God. And I pray that we would invite them into the boat.
And God, I pray that you would save hundreds, thousands in the community of Cody. I pray a revival would begin in Cody, Wyoming that would transform the entire state of Wyoming. Could it be that you want to do that right here with some of these friends? I believe you can. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's stand, guys. Let's sing praise to Jesus. Thank you.